Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our Lockdown Project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. Hello and welcome to Wise Children's Lockdown Tea and Biscuits. And today it's my enormous pleasure to talk to my old friend Steve Tanner. Hi, Steve. Hello, Emma Rice. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm all right. I don't think we've done a Zoom, which is ever before. So this is the first time I've looked at you over the the airwaves. Yeah, it's really odd, isn't it? Even though we've kind of semi got used to it, still haven't got used to it, have we? And then I've also seen you in the flesh. Exactly. I've seen more of you than most people in my life over lockdown. But it's very nice to be looking at you now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it's you. It's, um, yeah, it's just bizarre, isn't it? But we have been masked up and all of that, haven't we? Yeah, I haven't seen your mouth. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I haven't seen your mouth for a very long time. Um, So tell me, first of all, the most important thing, what is your biscuit of real or virtual choice? Oh... I've got a very nostalgic memory of this, and it's it's a club biscuit. Oh. And I remember always sharing, not sharing a biscuit, either having a, an orange one or a mint one with my sister. And we had this thing where we just try and make it last the longest. So it was that whole thing of like taking the chocolate off, getting down to the wafer and then opening the wafer up and then taking the chocolate out on the inside and stuff like that. So we used to make it last for ages and ages and ages. But uh, like everything else, like wagon wheels and everything, I'm sure they've just got smaller. <laughs> it's you who's got, got bigger. Smaller. You've got bigger, Steve. You're not eight no, anymore. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, <I don't. laughs> Simon will join in in that. What's making me laugh about that is my sister could make every meal, every treat last forever. And of course, as everybody who knows me, I am greedy for everything in life my biscuit would be gone in seconds and then i'd have to watch my sister let make hers last for hours and it would kill me so i'm impressed that you and your sister were the same yeah 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 but we did have we did have well what you call food fights i don't know what it was but you know mischievous when mum and dad had their heads turned and then there was the chocolate eclair and you know you'd, you'd managed to open it really quickly and put your finger down the middle of it and lick it and then put it back together again <laughs> And he'd be like, whoa! And there'd be chaos going on after that. But um, <laughs> Just yeah. tell me how your lockdown has been, because we're, we're, we're pulling out of it now, aren't we? But we're not quite there yet. But how's it been as a photographer, um, lockdown? What's the experience been like? Well, lockdown, lockdown one was kind of curious, as in, because everything stopped as a photographer, because all the events, all the theatre, everything, all the, all the galleries closed. So I mainly work in the arts, so that kind of all stopped. And sort of conveniently, <laughs> we were moving house. So I was renovating a house. And also, so I took over homeschooling Zach, who's, who's, who's our son, who's, uh, he was eight, eight at the time. So we made a little like classroom in the house that we were moving into. That was the first room we did, which was his room where we made it into a classroom. Um, so Aga was working at home. And then we were going up to the other house, which is a bit of a building site. We had this one little room 
um, that was our sort of little sanctuary that we we kind of well I pretended to be a teacher can you believe it? No, I, I muddled through it it was it was uh, quite quite bizarre really trying to do that you know because you have to look at yourself in the mirror and go oh my god you know I don't know I don't know that myself <laughs> so you have to re-educate yourself about stuff that you've pretended that you've known you know and then you've got an eight-year-old asking you these questions and it's suddenly you you realize how stupid you are <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a suspicion that education is far superior now than it ever was then because I learned nothing at school. I mean, I can't join up my light, my writing. I can't do maths. I mean, I can't, I don't know what I can do. Imagine stories, but I mean, I don't think I learned that at school. I'm I'm with you on that as well. You know, I've got very very sort of vague memories of learning anything really, and then uh, and the moment leaving, I remember because I was at school in in Huthway and then. We had this bus journey going to Hucknall, which is, you know, Hucknall National, which is just on the outskirts of, of Nottingham. Um, so, and I remember, you know, I got vague memories to go there, but it's more like the, the getting there and getting back was more <laughs> more significant than actually what I was doing there. And I remember, and then eventually thinking, I can leave now, I'm 16, I'm gone, you know, and it was great. And then off to art school. And then it was suddenly this really weird transformation of being treated like a kid and then suddenly going into into a world where you were treated as like an adult and you could dress. I wasn't dressed like an adult, but I, I was I was in this adult world. It was amazing. And that's when I think I started to learn. It, become a, it became a lot more uh, intuitive rather than forced. Do you know what I mean? And I, I know think, exactly what you mean. I feel that yeah. I survived school and and really sort of blossomed at sixth form, but or just happened, you know, I was just waiting, just waiting for sixth form to happen. And that's when my life and my friendships and my education started, I think. We met, I'm gonna take us back with my first record choice. I normally give this to my guest, but I'm taking it today. I'm having the first record choice and I've chosen the track of 1994 which is the year we met the year that i came down to cornwall the year i was in carmen ravenheart and we listened to this over and over and over and over again in the knee-high van as we went on tour it's nana cherry and used to endure seven seconds Bukuma, kuma khondal di ne yo, li ne kasi yo, mo ne si man, li ne si ne, mo edilen yapale.
J'assume les raisons qui nous poussent de changer tout J'aimerais qu'on oublie le couleur pour qu'ils espèrent Beaucoup de sentiments, de race qu'il faut qu'ils désespèrent Je veux les gamins ouverts, les amis pour parler de leur peine, de leur joie pour qu'ils le vivent Des infos qui ne divisent pas amazing track it takes me right back right back to being in that bashed up red van with Giles King Tris Sturrock Beck Appleby Alan Drake Jim Carey um just uh, innocence although which is the samba band we worked with and my life changed that was the year that I managed to get the train down to Cornwall and really have never looked back I, I knew the second I arrived it was something amazing was happening that was going to change my life but I don't know when you came to Cornwall and why I think it was 1990 or 1991 something like that and so I d- I ended up in Sheffield doing a, a fine art degree in photography, uh, loosely calling it a fine art degree, because in, in in those years, talking about education, it was brilliant where you just were allowed, I say brilliant, I kind of wish it was a bit more structured now, but you were completely given the freedom to make up your own project, go where you wanted to. You kind of pointed to where the, where the equipment store was, where the dark rooms were, and then that was it. You'd come back every three months and, and kind of show your work. Da, da, da. 
So I did that for a bit, and at the end of that, I um, hooked up with Francesca, and we kind of went off traveling, and we did loads of stuff. And she, her grandmother, lived in Marazine. So, and then I went back to Nottingham, did loads of. Uh, I started working in day centres and, and doing sort of photography workshops in day centres because that's where my mum was working, um, and. So that that was a really great experience doing all of that. Um, but as soon as I started coming down to Cornwall and visiting Francesca, and I then realised I got to try and do something, I think, with photography. And it, even though I'd, I'd had an education as a in fine art photography, it wasn't really vocational. So I teamed up. I basically started being an assistant with another photographer and learned all the kind of the business side of it, the technical side of it. I'd never really been in a studio, never really used a flash, all of that sort of stuff that I kind of ran away from if I didn't have to use it. Um, and so, yeah, and then I got a grant from the Prince's Trust mm-hmm. after doing something like Enterprise Allowance uh, for a year or two, bought some equipment and, and then just yeah, and it kind of just gravitated down to Cornwall and ended up staying there um, and renting somewhere in Mausel, which is where I still am. It's this is like right at the bottom. For anybody who doesn't know where Mausel is, it's right oh. at the bottom. So for a Huthwaite boy and a Nottingham girl, I do find it extra. It's an extreme choice, isn't it, to live in Cornwall? But it doesn't feel yeah. extreme. It feels kind of right. It does. It does. For it. It does feel right, and and the. The telling point for me is always when you go away, coming back is always joyous. There's always a moment when you're driving back or you're half an hour away from home and it's like being on holiday where suddenly you you start smiling. And I don't know what that is, but you know, that's never gone away. Um, And so I just, and it's the longest place I've ever lived now. (laughs) So you know what I mean? It's suddenly it becomes really rooted in you and it's a home. Whereas when I first moved here, probably like you, you knew nobody, you knew one or two people. And then slowly, 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 you become sort of, um, you put out roots and you have relationships and friendships and history and uh, and you and you just tumble on. Um, and I've, you know, I've been tried to be, I've tried to drag myself out and other people have tried, me, tried to drag me away. Uh, but I've, I'm still here. So I guess, you know, I guess there's a real attraction to it. Um, I, think, I think you're Cornish now. I know there's lots of arguments about that, but you... you oh, my you know. You're in trouble. I am. No, I'm... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. identification it's the new way. I think yeah. you are. You've been there how many years? 30. 30, yeah. Come on. But, Come on. I know. But do you know what? It's, it, I think it's also something to do with, like, growing up in Nottingham... And then Sherwood Forest was my playground, and I loved it. You know what I mean? It's like, and I really missed it when I first moved down here. I missed the trees, I missed the dark, the, the smell of the woods, and all that. But now it's like I go there, and I, I still love it. I, I'm nostalgic about, you know, Sherwood Forest, but it's very different. And now it's like I can't imagine not being near to the sea. Mm. Um, even though you take it for granted, it's just again, it's that classic of just optimism about looking out to the horizon as it were you know there's constant change the weather's constantly changing 
like my life in a weird way, even though I don't, <laughs> I don't, I haven't moved. I like that spontaneity of stuff. You know what I mean? I like sort of things being out of control um, and having to adapt a little bit. I love that, and I and I know exactly what you mean. I think Mike Shepherd once said to me, "You can't." you can't feel depressed when you're looking at the sea and there's something about looking at the world in widescreen which the sea and the horizon makes you do you have to your eyes have to focus on something big and there's something that happens and if you combine the sea air and and as you say the elements which are all beautiful when you're there when you're when you're there there's no weather that isn't astonishing i i do think something happens to the soul that is yeah that is hard to express in words but it's really tangible yeah and then it's kind of the opposite you know when you go to a city it's like you you really soak it up it's like this amazing sort of injection of adrenaline of everything you know you sort of everything's over hyper heightened yeah heightened and and it's brilliant you know it's like fantastic and thankfully i know now that i can't take pictures of nature or landscapes or seascapes because <laughs> and and that is a really big re- relief uh, that I can go for a walk and not feel like I've got to take a camera with me or whatever. Because I just feel that it's just, it's too vast for me to kind of crush down into this little box. I just can't do it. I've tried, but I just can't do it. So I've kind of accepted that it's just there and I'll love it for what it is and just accept it. Oh, I um, love that. I love that. Um, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but now yeah. give me your first choice of music and why. So it's Edgar Holmes, and it's one of those songs that just ca- just keeps coming back in my Spotify sort of list of stuff, and it just comes back, and it's just so. I just love a voice, um, and and for me, I guess it's about my fascination with talking about the opposite of landscapes is fascination with people and their identities and um, and as a photographer spend loads of time observing and listening and and hiding behind a camera and and, and you become this sort of chameleon where you kind of you don't quite know who you are or what your role is a lot of the time and you adapt to certain situations and 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 then and then not really being able to spend time with people because you're always looking. You're always kind of you're talking to people, but you're looking over the shoulder because you're thinking, oh, "I've got to move on to the next thing, next thing, next thing." So it's this feeling that I keep parachuting in and out of, like like I do with your, you know, like the projects. Really, it's, um, you you parachute in for a few days and you've got this amazing acceptance for who you are because we all work together, and then you're gone again. And, and so sometimes you forget really what you are or what you want to be or and th- this is like kind of one of those songs that kind of makes me just think about that um, and, and it's called Hit or Miss. Oh, you see 
I gotta believe It ain't nobody just like this I gotta believe My baby, he don't miss I look at you sitting there You're all by yourself You're living there and everybody, everybody Then be like everybody else Don't you see You gotta believe There ain't nobody just like this You gotta believe My baby, he don't miss What a beautiful and surprising record, a debtor hit or miss. It's beautiful, Steve. And what I really love is the rawness of it. And, and you know, it's the same with oh, all the musicians that we work with. You know, there's this kind of over, sometimes things are, are overproduced. And I just get in total awe of people who can pick up a just guitar and sing. And a complete envy as well. And do you, do you know what I mean? It's of course kind of, I do. But you, I mean, you sing really well, and you and you can act. And um, whereas what I do is via a piece of equipment, and so it becomes really frustrating that you can only show your oh, your skills, I guess, through via this um, via something else. You know, you're not you're not complete as in you can sing or you can act or you can juggle and and sometimes I really miss that that you kind of I haven't necessarily necessarily got some of those skills, but because of my skill that I've got as a you know I'm I'm paid to be a, like a voyeur uh, I'm a <laughs> observer um, and and that's a that's a delightful kind of opportunity and skill that. You know, I've kind kind of now really treasure because it lets me be part of those little moments that that happen. You know, in rehearsals or in an artist studio, and you know, moments of creativity that other people don't see. It's like behind the scenes of something, and you see things how they evolve and the rawness of it. And I just really treasure those things. You know what I mean? They're really special. And and so that had like a little essence of of, of that. That and I think that's why it just keeps coming back to me. It's an uh, amazing song, and I really understand what you're saying. And I'm I'm a director as well. I feel that now I I'm watching more than being at the heart of things. Um, so I really chime with what you're saying. It's it's a it's a unusual place to be but when I think about you and how you have witnessed and captured and participated in every chapter of my life is that what a 
strange. I don't think of you with a camera, actually. I think of you and what you described as your your chameleon ability to adapt. I mean, you're extraordinary. You know, you know, in the old days, you used to say to people, do you go to the theatre? No. Do you see knee high? Oh, yeah, I go to knee high. Well, I feel the same, which is people say, do you have people in the rehearsal room? No, I don't. Will you have Steve? Of course I'll have Steve. You you have an amazing um, skill. And, and it's more than a skill because it's who you are, an ability to just be and to not be pushing away or sucking energy out, to just be in a room. And that gives people such trust. And that means you've witnessed more than anybody else of, of the, the, this community and this artistic movement that Tea and Biscuits is about documenting you've you've been there you've seen it all it, it is phenomenal and it's you know I'm I'm in I'm in my studio now so I'm surrounded by files of history and hard drives full of it and it's kind of a little bit overwhelming sometimes you know and it, and it's um but delightful at the same time and it's not until I start sort of like I said to you this morning I thought I'd sit down and start trying to look at trying to refresh myself over the different shows that we've done and times and and really it just it, it yeah becomes really overwhelming because you, you kind of that there has been so much that it's hard to it's hard to sort of quantify it and and hard to remember and and there's certain times in my life where you look back at all pictures and you can't even remember taking it do you know what i mean and and I was thinking about this the other day, just going back to make this kind of weird um, connection with musicians, where, you know, when you sit at the barns or wherever, the musicians would all get together and they'd be jamming and, and, and just playing away, and there's this great spontaneity. And I now know that if I'm photographing or in the moment, I have to be in the moment, like, like when musicians are jamming. So sometimes after I finish photographing a show or a production, somebody say, "Oh, did you get that? Did you get this? Or did you get that shot?" And you go, "I have got no idea. I have got no idea," because you kind of just immerse yourself. And if I do know a specific moment or this or that, I know that I wasn't in the moment. I wasn't just letting myself go because I'm I'm not reacting sort of subconsciously to things. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know whether that's got something to do with... I mean, being in a rehearsal space is very different because it's kind of you've got to be respectful respectful to actors and the space and the director and the rest of the crew. Um, and that's just a skill that you've enabled me to develop because you know that that is essential for me then to go into a production knowing that I'm informed about what the work is. Whereas you go to other places, I mean, we had it at the Globe, you know, and people would sort of say, oh no, you can't go into rehearsals. And you go, but, but, but that's what, no, Emma, all, oh no, 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 you won't. <laughs> and you go, you, you're early, you're an hour early and you, could, you, well, you can't go in yet. And you're going, just, God, come on, it's really important for me to be there, even if I'm not taking pictures. Because I just need, I just need to be a fly on the wall. I need to observe. I need to see your relationship to the actors. I need to see the way the actors sit, the way they react with each other, the, you know, the way they move. And that all informs the way I then shoot a show. Because I can kind of not predict people's movements, but I kind of 
we'll know how what they're going to do that that little look you know um you know going back to somebody like tristan you know what i mean you you'd be able to follow somebody like tristan and just go or, or giles and you go i i can preempt what they're going to do now it's like within it's just like you can see him drop a shoulder or there's a suddenly little walker as a pace or there's a little look and and you know it's coming and it's just that moment there and that that is only enabled by sitting in on rehearsals and looking at stuff and um, what you're describing is improvisation you're just using a different tool than a musician or an actor would you're using the camera yeah, yeah. what you're describing is getting into getting under the skin of the the company and the piece and getting in the zone you're describing the the being in the company which is how i feel yeah certainly after all these years you know it's um it's an incredible thing it's an incredible thing that you do and, and incredibly intimate because you get shots that nobody else would get and what you're you've just articulated why is that you've done all the enough research to know when they're coming so that you're ready well a lot of it is, is trust isn't it and if you go into a space where somebody allows you freedom which is to do with trust like you do um and, and you you know you're at the top of that triangle so people you've already built that trust up with with your with your crew and with the actors so if anybody else comes in and and you've accepted them into that then everybody else accepts it so the fact is you've already done the work for me as it were <laughs> so it makes you know i can't do that with other other directors um i have to build that up you know it's, it's a lot harder um but yeah i mean it's 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 a it's a it's a beautiful thing knowing all these different actors and and of course the way you work is like you'll have a team of people then you kind of keep introducing other actors constantly and and then it, so it's not completely overwhelming all the time do you know what i mean you can see the interactions and how people work together and the dynamics of it all which makes just it's, it's a joy it's delightful i always like to think of it as yogurt and that you have to keep a certain amount of culture at the center of it <laughs> you can introduce you can grow it in different ways but you have to keep that that core um known so yeah. what you're describing is one of the things I love about you, one of the many things, which is your work ethic and the hours that you put in above and beyond what any other photographer in the business would do. And my next choice is Lesson 6 from Jurassic 5, which is from The Red Shoes. And The Red Shoes was such a seminal piece for me and for Nehi. We That piece changed so much for so many people in such a personal way. We, The, the business model changed. I became a director and an auteur. Um, the company travelled the world and you came with us on every step of that Red Shoes journey. You came to China. You you came, you were there when it was revisited with a different company member. You just, you, I feel that you sat through that chapter of change side by side with all the personalities. So I'm going to play a little bit of the Red Shoes to take us back to that project. Okay, let's begin. Compound, a substance composed of two or more elements chemically combined in definite proportions by weight. Mixture, two or more substances that are not chemically united, such as air. Solution, a uniform mixture of varying proportions of a solvent and a solute. For many of our students, this is the lesson you've been waiting for. Lesson
Hydrogen, H, plus 1. Sodium, Na, plus 1. Magnesium, Mg, plus 2. Aluminum, Al, plus 3. Potassium, K, plus 1. Calcium, Ca, plus 2. Chromium, Cr, plus 2, 3, 6. <laughs> Combinations of music. If you're about to play a soul 45 RPM recording, but the turntable is set at 33 and a third, and the record plays very slowly. Uh, let's pick up the tempo a bit, eh? Now let us imagine that you're in the middle of your disc jockey program. This is the mark of a professional. Sorry, I had the turntable at the wrong speed.
change that alters the composition of the molecules of a substance. New substances with new properties are produced. From now until your next lesson, we want you to study carefully every section of Lesson 6 and to go back over Lesson 4. Practice carefully and you will be ready for the new techniques and new situations we will cover together in Lesson 5. Sums up such a massive time in our lives, that piece. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I mean, I'm, when you talk about it, I just, yeah, just go back to... Oh, just you know, being on the mounts, it's St Michael's Mount, go from there and then and then going, you know, that was in the early days, wasn't it? And being at Eden. Um you yeah, know and- I'd forgotten that. We played yeah. the Red Shoes on St Michael's Mount and did people get boats there from Zion? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The audience got boats over there, we performed and then the tide went out and they walked back with a candle lit perth from Maris, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. St Michael's Mount. How magic, I'd forgotten. Yeah. Absolutely extraordinary. Uh, yeah, that was a, just such a such a journey that show went on and how it how it kind of transformed and developed and, and like you did as well and the company did, you know, it's amazing, amazing. I still, you know, when I, you know, I, I now am at the sort of ghastly point in my life where I'm, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing and talk about it and I often I always refer back to the red shoes because it was entirely on instinct that show it burst out of my psyche um, and but everybody followed you know Nehi that that small team just said we're in we're gonna this might not work it might be crazy but they never articulated a question and you know something happened to I think everybody who made that show and and I feel like in many ways it sounds a bit tragic, but whenever I even now I think how can I how can I harness that same instinct that I had on the red shoes? How instead of learning my craft, which is almost the easy bit, I think how can I keep my soul so raw and accessible and vibrant? Yeah, it's it's tricky keeping that rawness, isn't it? And the playfulness and and well, you always retain that playfulness, which is one of your amazing qualities that you're enabled to do that. And I and I and I kind of think you there was is also the the rawness in what you do. But I can I know what you're saying. It's kind of that un- unknown journey that you go on, and you can only see that when you look back in in retrospect. Do you know what I mean? And then and then it's like it's a combination of fear and nostalgia and and wonder and all of those things sort of come out, don't they? Yeah, and, and you know, it's one of the. I mean, God, I I love getting older. I really genuinely do. But it, life is karma because you do you kind of get yourself and you get your place and you. You've, you've gone through enough stuff to sort of think, oh, I can navigate this, I know how to do this. But that point, Red Shoes, I was almost bang on 30. Life was incred- was still incredibly vivid and at, t- at times frightening, at times very passionate, you know. And I think all of us had an extraordinary sort of bec- becoming moment. We just became, and we became as a team, not just as individuals. And you were smack bang in the centre of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the camera in the same way. I'm not going to let you get away with the fact that you wish you were a musician because your camera is as vibrant as a cello or a mandolin. And what's, as what's important. And what was amazing for me, I mean, it's a, it that was also a, a crossover between like the, the analog world of shooting on film and all of that kind of world going into the digital world where now because everything is shot digitally, so it was like this 
and, and you know, it's just another way of um, embracing technology, which is which is now fantastic because it's enabled us to do things. But just, you know, before then, it was like hours spent in the dark room. You know, like shows would finish and you'd rush home, develop the films, and you know, I mean, this is before you know the, the sort of early and earlier knee high days. But um, yeah, so it's really you know really important. Well, red shoes definitely spanned it because I remember having the hard copies of photos to choose red shoes shots from. And then yeah. going digital soon after, and I hated it. I I, I still hate choosing digital pictures. I miss yeah. I miss having that almost like a pack of cards in which you go, I love this one, and but and doing piles. I you know I railed against it. I, I accept it, but I yeah, yeah, the old days. I and I really treasure those moments where we were kind of sat down. And we had to sort of hone them down because. Mm-hmm. I'm really indecisive, and but when when but when it comes down and when it comes down to it, you are incredibly decisive, and it's like you just cut through the bullshit and just go bosh 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 bosh. That's it. That's it. And oh, thank you. Do you know what? It is one of the things that I don't even argue with. I, I feel I it's one of my greatest skills. I can make a decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once I make it too yeah. fast, I probably don't think enough, but I can make a decision. And choosing photos is a really—I just know. You just know that one's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It sings. exactly, exactly. And that's what I miss sometimes. You know, when we've kind of where the machine of theatre has become mm-hmm. so so big, we get we kind of get distanced, and and you miss that kind of connection with with somebody that you kind of have that immediate sort of selection because work is already being. Um, What's the word? Work's already been selected before it gets down to you, yeah. and and they and then you kind of go, oh no no, don't take that out. Emma might like that, and they kind of go, nah. And you go, no, keep it in, keep it in. Just let her, let her put a line through it, not you. Yeah. And then you're you're you you kind of and I have that with other clients. You know what I mean? It's kind of it's just it's difficult when things kind of balloon out of not balloon out of control, but they just get bigger, and and you kind of like the process that you had before but realise that that's not possible but you do know what I like because one of the things that I wanted to mention is every show from the Red Shoes onwards at some point you send me a picture and it's of feet yeah we don't really talk about it do we but you you know I love feet you know that my costuming I always like to know what a character has on their feet and you always capture something which I feel in many ways you, you talked earlier about you know you 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 take pictures of people but you you see the whole picture and I think we should I was thinking as we were planning to do this conversation we should just make a little book of all the feet I feel it tells such a massive story it'd be beautiful yeah yeah well I guess that's the red shoes as well isn't it it kind of started there and I remember you getting those there was, can you remember we did a shot of you? It was, it was the promo, there was the Vivian Westwood shoes you got. Yeah. And then we ended up, you, on your back. Yeah. Um, or, I think it was you, was it Becky? I no, can't remember. No, it was me. It was me. Yeah. And we did the feet upside down um, as though they were, and then we we flipped the photo up the other way. So it looks like they're dangling down, but it's, but, and, and, they, and they were always joyous moments as well, where you're kind of trying to devise these generic images where the show hadn't started, mm-hmm. um, but you kind of start, you wanted to get an image together. And, you know, and, and that's what I did with Bill as well, Bill Mitchell, which was always delightful because for him, that was kind of the start of really physically um, putting ideas together of the show. 
and then making it into an event. Yeah. And I mean, often those pre-shots don't really work, but they always inform you about the show. Always. Oh, Um, my. Oh, go on. No, no. I I was just thinking of silly, really silly moments we've had. And I remember, and this involved Bill, because he, I think we were doing the riot up at the National. And we were doing a... um, Bill wanted to do a photo, a photo um, shoot with you for the itch. Can you remember? And he sent out for these like oversized knickers, <laughs> and you had around your ankles. And you, I think you were in some kind of like I don't know what it was, wedding dress or something. But when you think back, it was like it was mental because we were in this kind of stairwell, <laughs> trying to trying to do it like completely knee high style in between rehearsals or performances. And Bill was sending out for Bill was in his element because he was sending out people to buy different kinds of knickers and stuff. And then, and then there was you doing the shoot, and it was like it was with brilliant. really big knickers, nuns' knickers really with my ankles. And your ankles being quite subversive, it was great. <laughs> oh, we've had a few. I'm just I want to go on to your next music choice, but we also mm-hmm. had Mike Shepherd in a tutu running on the cliffs with um, lipstick on, and then having a massive row with a local farmer. That was yeah. a good one. <laughs> With lipstick and a tutu on. Oh, we've had some. Yeah, some I've, I've, and, and, and the infamous giant uh, test tube. Oh yes. So we mm. tried to do a picture of me underwater for Lulu, and it was in the Eden project. It was this big tube of water, which like I've a got, huge test tube, wasn't it? Tube, like a, yeah. a giant, giant test tube. Which I was lowered into. It was absolutely freezing, and it was terrifying because you couldn't swim, or because I was in a tube, there was nothing to hold on to. So I honestly panicked, and it also, because it was a circular bit of glass, it magnified me into looking absolutely massive. <laughs> <laughs> it was a terrible shot. I nearly died and I got hypothermia and it took hours. Oh, I know. I think it took them two days to build the structure with the test tube in the middle of it, didn't it? And then it was really cold. But the, the moment you put your foot in, I thought, oh, no, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. I wish you'd told me before oh. I got in. It was really frightening to be scrabbling up the inside of a tube in the freezing. Oh, that was terrifying, wasn't it? Bless you, bless um, you. What's your next choice and why? Um, this is kind of a hark, hark back. This is Nina Simone Cinnamon, and it's by it's a remix um, uh, by Felix the Housecat, <laughs> Heavenly House Mix, um, and I suppose it. I'm sure I can remember Mum and Dad having this record and me listening to it. Um, and I've inherited their um, vinyls, so I must sort of go through it and see if it's there. But what I really love about it, and which is a li- little bit sort of as a, as a recognition to you and the way you work, is just reinventing things. So it's it's kind of sometimes take, taking the old and then turning it on its head and giving it a fresh look. It's like recycling um, and reinventing. And I just love it. I love it when people do that. Because um, I just think it, it just marries up all the time and influences the way we move on, but recognise the past and then address the future. And this, for me, does it.
you gave me a choice for that um, track, and I, if I'm given Nina Simone as a choice, I'm always going to choose her. I feel that there's something about her that is has got the energy and the fury and the passion that I feel certainly speaks to me about my own personal freezing, but also the, the politics that she brings and the musicianship she brings. Nina Simone all the way. So thank yeah, you for yeah. that. Thank no, not it's, a, it's another rawness and, and yeah. I want to talk it. a bit about your pace because there's something, um, there's an amazing mix to Steve Tanner, which is when you're in a room, like I say, you sort of, you, you, you fall in with whatever that, the energy in that room is and you, you, it's like you're a fish in the river. You come with it, you go with a slipstream and, and that is why you're able to, um, to see things and capture things that nobody else can. But as a man, when we were in Cornwall, my overwhelming sort of sense of you was that you were always in a rush, that you were always driving miles. You had that van that you bombed around in and a motorbike that you bombed around on. I think you've had a few accidents. Yeah. But we used to call you Billy Whiz because you'd always be whizzing around. And it was... There is something whizzy about you. You're quite athletic and you're wiry and you're just ready. You're sort of coiled. But uh, sometimes I felt that you were on the edge of spinning out of control in some of those years. And I was—I lived in fear of you crashing a van or a bike. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess it's its weird. It's, it's kind of wanting to... It's that, I tell you what it is, it's the ability never to say no because you feel like you're missing out on something. And when you when you're working with lots of brilliant people and projects, like, like I don't just want to turn up if I'm doing a, a shoot for you. Uh, you know, I don't just want to turn up ten minutes before the it's going to start and do it. And it's the same with other jobs. You know, it's it's nice to understand what people want you to take pictures of and why. And and that sounds it might sound a bit strange but it's important for me um to build up that relationship um so over commitment over commitment is why you were bombing around cornwall like a mad yeah. person for yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and i guess it's also you know i've i've, I've talked quite a few a lot about this recently is, is just it might be something to do with upbringing as well and i Mum and dad were always helping people in the community and it was like there was never any um, like a nine till five job. It was never like, do you know what I mean? There was never kind of a, like a routine. So I've never had this routine. So to me, it's normal. You know, I mean, and dad was a vicar so that, you know, living in the vicarage, you could have a knock at the middle of the night and it could be, you know, something's happened got to go it's got to go to the hospital you got to go to the local pub there's been a fight or do you know what i mean it could be anything or there's people need a bed for the night or somebody's hungry or it, so you kind of get used to this kind of disturbance no disturbance is the wrong word but um just occurrences going all the on all the time and and then my mum was working with people with mental illnesses and and, and again there's this wonderful spontaneity about them and unpredictability um and i and i guess it's just that i've kind of 
genetically I've evolved with the with those kind of uh, I don't know what it is it's artistic and it's humanitarian isn't it is that you're ready you're ready and and you don't say no you say yes yeah 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 and and that's that's been tough it's tough on you know it's tough on relationships it's tough on family and all of that kind of stuff because you you know when you're on your own there's, there's you don't have to compromise you can just throw yourself in and and that's it you forget about the world and that's the problem when you fall into these worlds into the theater world is that oh my god you just want to stay there forever do you know what i mean and and you know in the last month i've been working on mark jenkins next feature as a stills photographer and so just dropping in every now and again and that's been really difficult because as soon as you're in that world, you don't want to leave it. Mm. But you know that you've got to tell yourself a way to go to sit, to do something maybe a little bit more mundane. Um, so you will leave things right to the last minute to leave <laughs> and then think, I can get there, you know. And, and that's where you sort of kind of push yourself to the limit. Um, but I, you know, I I kind of love it. It's I who you are. It's who you drive, are. Drives other people mental, but um... and and your work ethic. I mean, that's what it also comes down to. I mean, you've you've described it, but I need to name it as well. Is that um, I there's been a very few shows where I've had to use another photographer for one reason or another, and they do just turn up and take pictures and show you, and that's it. And yeah. with you. I know that you will get those shots and I never even have to worry. I don't even think about it because I know that you will. And you often turn up in the run and say, do you mind if I shoot from backstage? And I say, sure, because I know that you'll get it. There's just no way that you would not capture what needs to be captured. And you do it with joy and with being part of something, not on the outside. And and that that's a work ethic, but it's beyond that. You're the vicar of photography, I've decided. <laughs> it's oh knock on your door and you say yeah i'm here i'm here i'm in i'm gonna learn who these people are i'm gonna learn what the project is and i will get it and that is just unique steve unique yeah i mean and no, no disrespect to the photographers either who don't do that because i think they're equally amazing that they can turn up and they can capture stuff without seeing it i mean that terrifies me <laughs> the fact that i would go and photograph something that i don't know anything about i mean i do it occasionally with different companies or if the budget's small or I don't know the work and I'll do it um but it makes such a difference to me do you know what I mean it's like I couldn't bear just just rocking up and doing it and me and other photographers can do it and and they're brilliant they're super skilled at doing it but I just feel like I need just to put in I suppose it's like different actors didn't it they approach things in different ways some people are really studious and then other people are much more spontaneous and they're both ultimately going into the same ah but you do both you put in the work and then you act spontaneously <laughs> right um i'm gonna go move on to my next choice um which which is really sticking with your work ethic actually is that i've known you from analog going into digital i've never been aware of you learning new skills and yet i now know that you must have worked very hard to stay up to date with technology and equipment that's financially as a business and as an artist and now in lockdown we started live broadcasting and you came on the team working with simon baker um to really revolutionize live broadcast in theater you working as director of photography and we have the absolute pleasure of me on cans to you 
I mean, I wasn't really that helpful, to be honest, but I loved it. I mean, those live broadcasts no, you were. You made, were. made my lockdown. And, um, you know, normally when you watch shows, it's you're very lonely. And I loved listening to you and Simon and the, the Helen and Natasha on camera. It was such fun and so exhilarating. Do you know what it was, Emma? Just it, we just talked about it. It was that choice of choosing images, but we were doing it live. Do you know those moments where we sat down years ago, like looking at yes. um, dots, and then you go, and it's so helpful when you're on cans and you're just going, "That's it, that one." No, down, right, left, bang, and it just refines what you know me and Ty are doing, and and it was just what we needed. It was great. So, yeah, equally, it was delightful, yeah. Bloody amazing. But this is, um, we're going to play a little bit from Romantics Anonymous, the end of Act One, um, to say thank you for um, helping us with that experiment of live broadcast. And and thank you for continuing to push your technical expertise to such amazing heights. So they say your chocolate isn't good. Well, I object. What are you doing? I thought we decided. It has its tradition, yes, and grace, traits I respect. Everybody's looking at you. And though I am tempted to resist, just this once I think I must insist. Maybe our tradition only needs a tiny twist. What are you suggesting, Mr. Lunch? Madame Marini said she might reconsider. She might place another order if we take a risk. A risk? Oh no, I don't do risk. What if we try to take a chance? What if we simply shift our stance? I'll admit that just the thought of change terrifies me too. But what if we try something new? It'll be no use. To try and fail will cause too much pain. It's too late for us. It's too late. I'll agree that we're stuck in a rut. But I promise you somehow... It's too risky, sir. If we make a bold and sweeping change, be no worse off than now. Remember the tradition. I say we create a brand new line. Chocolate where the old and new combine. Classic but contemporary too and so divine. Will everyone just stop singing what please? What if we link before we look? What if we don't go by the book? What if we shake the whole thing up? Maybe we'll break through. What if we try something new a new line no we have always used the same recipe i have spent my whole life being haunted by my fears never going after what i wanted all those years fear is not an easy thing to master on your own but i think we might if we're not alone If we're not alone She's in love, she's in love Angelique and the boss Well they fit like a glove They're in love, they're in love And perhaps all they need is a shot They're in love So Madame Marini wants a change Different options to we can give her what she wants We've got nothing left to lose You were meant to we touch the recipe we've got Chocolate that is sure to hit the spot 
It's a risk, but ready now or not, we'll take our shot. This will be disastrous, something will go wrong. Spread your wings, you've got to we change what's always been. What if we jump and die right in? What if we break our old routine? Make the sweetest treats the world has seen. Chocolate that's renowned around the world, clear to Timbuktu. But how? How are we going to do this? Mercier's chocolate maker, the savant. I'm... say goodbye for this podcast let's talk a little bit more about Cormor and Nehi and you as an artist because um, I know what your last choice is so I know where we're heading so we're going to come back to Cormor we've gone digital and we're going back to Cormor but talk to me a little bit about the early days of the asylum which was the big project led by Mike Shepherd and Paul Cruz and me um, to create a mobile venue in in Cornwall that was kind of outdoor and indoor, part circus, part theatre, and it was called The Asylum. But you became an artist in residence at that time. So talk to me about that. Yeah, we, again, you enabled that to happen. You you offered a, a, a commission and, and sort of had a bit of um, blue sky thinking for me and Anna separately. Anna Murphy um, did, did a artist in residence as well. And it was really tough having that blue sky about thinking about something. And I kind of went back to, um, I always loved the, um, Diane Arbus, who's one of my favourite photographers. Um, and she said, um, photography is a passport into people's lives. And I've always thought of that. And, and whenever you pick a camera up, people kind of, most of the time, well, you can wheedle your way in. But before you know it, you're sitting down having a cup of tea with people. Um, and what I used to do in, 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 in day centres when I was running workshops is, is a sort of a discussion thing and also to, to look at photographing people was to get them to go round in a circle to talk about how they envisaged other people. So they'd look at Emma and say, what is Emma? What is she? You know, how do we, how do we what do we imagine her as? And they would put their identity onto you. And then so suddenly you would become a cross-channel swimmer, for example. So we photograph you as a cross-channel swimmer. And then we'd come back to you, and then you'd say, Emma, what do you see yourself as? And then you would say, um, I, whatever, whatever, I'm a, whatever, choose whatever. And then we would photograph you as that. So there was this lovely moment where you people would choose their own identity, and it was also the identity that other people would put on you. So I thought that'd be a really good idea for the asylum. Um, and I created this like little photo booth um, uh, studio and it was kind of a little Mr. Ben world as well, where I wanted you to um, step into this world and, and think about maybe what, uh, there was two questions. It's um, what, what is it you wanted to be? What is it you want to be? Um, or who is it you want to be? And it enabled people, both 
so the young would look at it kind of towards the future and be much more optimistic and youthful and and amazing because all their life was in front of them so you had were basically people were invited to write down their answer on a piece of slate and hold it up and 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 then the older sort of people would look back either nostalgically or tragically um and it was just incredible you know and and I was looking at it the other day of all these all these people and their their different um, responses to that question and yeah it was just and I still I need to do something with that that selection of images I mean I've got all the images that over the years of of the, the theatre world that I've got to do especially now it's become it's been even more heightened because of knee high. Um, but I also want to put something together with this with this book, you know. Um, and I just put a few. Can I just read out a few little ones? That were the yeah. Responses. So we had. There was probably three, four hundred ones that we've kind of honed down. And this is I just randomly picked a few. It was Invincible, Elvis, Archaeologist, Wasp, Liberated, Nag Free, My Mum, Happy, A Man. I don't know. A fish, brave, younger, an armor-plated whale, content, a vampire, loved. I want to be eleven again. And so, like, whoa! Just, just there's something about seeing all the, all these people just having a moment to do that. It's incredible. And can I remind you what yours was? I can remember, but tell me. So you did Still. There's a picture of you with Still on it. And the other one was Joan Littlewood. And then Cy, uh, Simon Upstairs, was Better. And Ben Burt. (laughs) So, uh, again, it was just this little snapshot of people's aspirations or uh, or just the the way where they were at that moment. And um, it's quite, yeah, I don't know, looking back now, you know, when you're in it at the time, you kind of just go, oh, this will be right, just a little project. But it came from a good place because it came from where I'd imagined that that work was kind of developed, which was in papers. And really true. I mean, that sort of knocked me sideways. As you were talking, I thought I can remember what I said and... I've actually experienced some stillness this last year for the first time, but you know, I, I hate feeling out of control. And I think um, it's why I'm not super ambitious actually, is I I keep, I I want to be still, I want to know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And I, I hate that feeling that I'm so, so that word still rings true. And of course, Joan Littlewood, what a great choice. And Mm. Mm. saying better, that breaks my heart a bit because he doesn't need to be better. He's fantastic, but he still feels it. Yeah, it was a wonderful project and wonderful to see you use your skills of witnessing humanity, but through your own lens, not through anybody else's lens. Mm. Yeah, no, it was, it was a, a fantastic opportunity. You know what I mean? Because again, it just felt that I was there for a purpose, not just to take pictures of a show. And I never pay, take pictures just of a show. You know, no. that's not why. That's not why I'm there. You know? <laughs> You're much, yeah, much more than like- that, Steve. Tell us about your last choice. Right. My last choice is harking back to the days of, well, early days with Nehi, um, 
when I was in a stuck in a dark room, developing pictures and running backwards and forwards with contact sheets. Um, this is Lobster by Nick Dark and Jim Carey. And I originally, I asked Jim about this because in my head, I so, and I think it's just, maybe it's wanted imagination. I really wanted um, an acoustic version of Mary Woodvine and Jim Carey singing it together. And I'm sure it exists, existed, but it, apparently it doesn't. Although they have sung it together and it could have been Randall Fire, it could have been On the Beach, I don't know. Um, but it always brings a lump to my throat. This version, this is the latest version that was recorded by Jim Carey and the Saboteurs, featuring St. Kevin Band and the Riots and Lobsters Community Choir, and it was performed at the Miners Chapel in St. Just. Thank you. But before I play this Tea and Biscuits out with the amazing Lobsters song, which I think should be the national anthem of Cornwall, and it touches all of us that knew Nick, that know Jim, that know Cornwall. It, there's something so profound and spiritual about this song that I couldn't ask for a better choice. But before I say goodbye to you, Steve, can I say thank you? You have been the witness to my professional life. You followed and documented the whole adventure from acting to directing, from Cornwall to London, from medieval castles to digital platforms. You are calm and joyful, quiet and present. You see, you see the work, you see the humanity and you see me. And always you take care. I feel as if you are the custodian of our story and the keeper of our memories. And I wouldn't trust anybody else with that task. I just hope that the burden isn't too heavy. So Steve Tanner, photographer, filmmaker, keeper of secrets and holder of hearts, thank you from all of us. This is the Lobster Song. For as long as I recall, I never had another wish. Just go to sea in my own boat and catch every kind.
Tea and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye.